0: This morning when we opened, I talked a little bit about Psalm 139 and the fact that we are made fearfully and wonderfully. There's another verse from the creation story. It's from Genesis 1, verse 26, and it's God talking. And God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And generally, if you think about it from a high level, we think of the fact that um, we are made like God in terms of the fact that we have an intellect, Uh, We have an emotion and we have a will. So I was wondering if you just drill down on that a little bit, um, how are we, what sort of characteristics do we have as humans that God might also have? So let's think about on the intellectual level, what sort of uh, things can we do that that God does? We we have compassion, what else? There's lots more. Oh, we can get angry. Now we jump right to the emotional side. Let's go back to the intellectual side for a minute. We'll get to the emotional side. What about on the intellectual side? What can we do that God can do? We can think. We can reason, right? We can gain wisdom, right? I even prayed for that in terms of how we spend our money, that we would have wisdom. Um, We have a will, right? That means what? Okay, we can make choices, right? We have preferences, so we make choices. Now let's jump to the emotional side. I heard some things. I heard compassion. I heard we get angry. What other things? Oh, forgiveness, love. Oh, you've heard the message. You're good. See me after. I'll give you your $20. Um, yes, we, we have these emotions, but what ends up happening is that because we're sinful, we cannot carry out those emotions attributes the way in which God does. And one of those ones that we have that you probably didn't even think about is the fact that we can be just or we can at least try to be just. And uh, sort of an example of that starts when you have little children and there's been an argument in the house and discipline's about to be doled out. What do you typically hear? That's not fair. That's not fair. So somehow we have this fairness. I'll call it a gene, but we have this fairness engine built inside of us, and so we all kind of look at fairness differently. And I wanted to demonstrate that this morning, and so in order to do that, I need a couple of volunteers. I'd like some, I need a teenage boy and a teenage girl that is not, they're not allergic to peanuts. Okay? How about a girl? I need a young lady. Okay? Okay? And you are? All right, we have Griffin and Faustina. and Faustina. Okay, well, thank you for coming up. Now, I, you know, I told you my name, and I told you I was an elder, and so as an elder, you would expect me to be fair to you, right? You expect me to be fair? Okay, all right, I have a little task for you. Over here, if you'll come right over here. When I came here this morning, I put this very important message under this paperweight so it wouldn't blow away, and I've decided I don't like it there, so I needed some help to just move it to a spot down here. So what I need you to do, Griffin, is to... Pick up the barbell, if you would pick that up. You okay there? You, you okay? It's not too heavy? You think you can walk over there with it? Wait, no, I don't want you to walk now. Tostina, can you pick up the, the the note? And can you read to me what the note says? Girls rule and boys drool. Yeah, it says girls rule and boys drool. <laughs> I, did I put that on that? Well, anyway, could you do me a favor? There's a space right down there. You'll see a piece of paper. Could you first, Tostina, walk down there and just place the paper there? And then, Griffin, I'm going to ask you to go... Um, down there. Are you ready? Oh, okay. Not too heavy? Okay, good. You can put it down now. All right. All right, so I have a reward for each of you for you know doing such a, a great job, and this is why I had to ask about the peanuts. Do you like Snickers bar? They say Snickers satisfy. <laughs> Griffin, t- to be fair, I was watching, and really I think maybe you need to work out, maybe I should send the uh, barbell home with you, and I have something they call the new cho- chocolate. It's kale chips. And I would like to be able to award you the, the kale chips for your great job that you do. Yeah, I'm, I see that look. Thanks for that look because that's the look I have at home as well. For John, kale is not the new chocolate, I can assure you. I have a Stuckers bar for you. Thank you very much, guys. You can sit down. Thanks. Thank you. Okay. The question that I have for you is: um, Was I fair? You can answer back. Was I fair? Was I fair to to Griffin? Did I pork, poke more fun at Griffin than I did at Faustina? Yeah. Was that right? No. Look at I know. Especially if you're Griffin's parents, you're like, oh man, he's picking on him. Oh, that's so bad. How many of you uh, didn't like the fact that, um, or maybe you? you thought I, I used stereotypes because I had Griffin pick up the weight, he did the heavier duty, and I had Faustina do the lighter one. How many go in? Oh, no, that's not fair. She's strong enough. She could have carried that barbell. Is there anybody like that that's willing to admit that? You can imagine if I had swapped it and then I treated Faustina, we might have a national organization of women picketing next Sunday when we came in. How many of you didn't think it was fair that I didn't have a Snickers bar for you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh. All right, so you get this idea that uh, you know we have sort of this fairness thing going on, and so I had a couple of other examples. That uh, one that's uh, near and dear to all of us. Do we have any Miami Heat fans here today? If you're a Miami Heat fan, uh, raise your hand. Okay, so what? what here's what I want to know: If you're a Heat fan, did you root for LeBron to lose in the finals? And you probably, when when he lost, you probably said, well, there you go, LeBron, you got your just desserts, right? That's interesting because it's usually not just and it's usually not like dessert, right? LeBron certainly wasn't uh, feeling like he got dessert at the end of that championship. But there's other situations in our society, especially when you look at the press today. Um, I read an article last week in the Sun Sentinel by a sports writer of all things and he called people who are rendering justice the zero-tolerance police. You think about things like Freddie Gray and that um, incident in Baltimore, and then Michael Brown in Ferguson, uh, Missouri, and, you know, all of, I'll call it the information. I don't know that it's fact, but the information that's provided to us in the press and provided to us so that we can then judge, if you will, whether or not justice is being served. We even have um, people on TV and... I don't watch too much of the news programs anymore, so the people I think about are Geraldo Rivera and Nancy Grace. They'll even weigh the points in a particular case and try to determine whether justice is um, going to be served. And so when you think about um, this whole idea of justice, now I want to kind of turn a little bit, and I have a question for you on your outline, and it says, why is it so hard to to forgive others? And it's interesting because Jesus gives us a lot of direct teaching that he considers the matter of forgiving uh, unforgiven sin and unconfessed sin a very serious matter. We're even told that in the Sermon on the Mount, if you bring your gift to the altar and you realize you've offended somebody, you're to leave your gift on the altar and go make that situation right. And so what I take from that is Jesus is saying this whole idea of forgiving and being part of that process is more important than my worship. When you are angry with somebody, when you do have unresolved um, sin, unresolved conflict, if you're the offended party, one of the things that can happen is that you can become uh, bitter. And um, I have to tell you, I'm not a psychologist. I I just love the world of psychology because they just come up with the greatest things. There is an unofficial name for prolonged bitterness, okay? It's unofficial because it hasn't been officially adopted by the community, but it's, it's widely used. You could even Google it. It's called post-traumatic embitterment disorder, PTED. According to resources, though, bitterness can lead to anxiety, it can lead to depression, and to rage. Um, studies have shown that embittered people can have uh, problems with their metabolism, they can have problems with their immune systems, and they can have organ function uh, problems. Of course, The Bible tells us that already. In Proverbs 14, verse 30, it says, A tranquil heart is life to the body, but passion, and by passion it means anger, envy, jealousy, bitterness, is a rottenness to the bones. So today we're going to talk about this whole idea of how do I try to forgive somebody who's offended me, and I realize that when you think about that, some of you may have some issues that have been unresolved for years. And there's a lot of pain involved, and so it's not my purpose today to bring that up and make you relive it, but it is my purpose to have you think about that in the context of, okay, how would God have me forgive that other person if I haven't already? And these can be, they can, they range a wide gamut. They can be something like maybe a close friend slighted you when you're in high school, or maybe a close friend insults you in some way. Uh, Maybe you had a parent that did that when you were younger, and it really hurt you, and it never got resolved. Um, maybe you, were, you got passed over for a big promotion at a job. Maybe you were laid off or fired. Um, maybe you have an unresolved disagreement with a friend or a family member. Maybe somebody at the church hurt you. You know, they didn't call you when they were sick. They didn't reach out to you in the right way. Maybe you're here today because you got hurt at another church. Maybe you've been repeatedly hurt by a close family member that's a substance abuser. It could be that your spouse committed infidelity or your spouse just showed up one day and said, I don't love you anymore, I want a divorce. Maybe as a child your parents divorced and that hurt you. There was a lot of fear and anxiety that was created in that situation. Maybe you've been emotionally, physically, or sexually abused. So there's all kinds of hurt that goes really, really deep And sometimes it's just really, really hard to forgive another person. And sometimes we don't even think about that. And I just think about all of that bitterness and that sadness and that anger because you want justice, uh, either because there hasn't really been any or the justice that was doled out was not good enough for you. So our big idea today, and this is on your outline, is that our desire for justice hinders our ability to forgive others. And what I want to do is I want to go to this passage in... Matthew, and read this for you. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay His Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a 100 denarii and seized him And began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him saying, have patience with me, I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should not you have also had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed to him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. So that's a long passage, and there's lots of interesting things in there. Um, Anytime I read a passage, I'm always asking why. And so the first question I asked here is, why did Peter ask this question? And then it dawned, I mean, when you think about Peter, if you look at Peter in the Gospels, we know that Peter is the most emotional, or he's, he's at least recorded the most emotional of the 12, and he's always getting angry, he's always speaking out of turn, and he kind of wears his emotions on his sleeve. If you'll remember, it was Peter that cut off the, the uh, servant to the high priest, his ear in the Garden of Gethsemane. So I have this feeling that Peter's probably angry at a lot of people a lot. So he wants to figure out how many times that it has to be before I can, I can get justice, Peter style, right? So why is it that he, he said seven times? Where, did, where does, the, where, where does the, the number seven come from? Well, it was thought in that day that the Pharisees taught that you only had to forgive somebody three times. And where does that come from? Well, that comes from the book of Amos. If you go read... Just start reading the first chapter of Amos, you'll see that there are a number of enemy nations uh, to Israel, and God basically says that he forgave them three sins, but on the fourth sin, he's going to wipe them out. And he just goes down the list, and there's a numerous list. And so basically, the Pharisees say, well, if God only has tolerance for three sins, then that's all the tolerance you have to have. So what you have is Peter, being around Jesus, knows that Jesus is talking about tolerance and forgiveness, so he goes beyond the three And in fact, he goes more than double, and he says seven. All right, so I have a question for you. Do you think that Jesus, when he says 70 times seven, which, if you know your math, is 490 times, do you think that Jesus is saying, go to the store, buy a checklist, and start writing down 490 sins? No. We know that Jesus, a lot of times, to make an example, um, uses exaggeration, and I think that's what he's doing Um, in this spot. Another thing to think about is, okay, what is a talent? In New Testament times, a talent was a measure, typically a measure, it was a weight. It was a measure of currency. And typically, it gets translated as um, bags of gold. And in fact, a talent of gold was 200 pounds, okay? If you can imagine 200 pounds. So I'm an accountant. Sorry, couldn't help it went to the Wall Street Journal, found out what the price of gold was this week per ounce, all right? So there's 16 ounces in a pound, 200 pounds, 10,000 of those. It's a lot of money. In our day, that's like $35 billion, okay? $35 billion. All right, so we have that. What is a denarius? Well, a denarius uh, was thought to be the wage for a laborer for a day's labor. And it was a small silver coin. Weight-wise, it was about 14% of an ounce, so you get an idea of how much it didn't weigh. And it was a very small amount, okay? And so there's 100 of those. And then you have this whole thing about um, prison, prison. Throughout the ages, and this probably disappeared in the late 1800s and the early 1900s, especially in the United States, uh, debtor's prison. If you owed somebody money and you couldn't pay, you could, be, you could take people to the authorities and they would put you and your family in prison and they would put you to work in a labor camp or a workhouse and you stayed there until you paid the debt. We don't really have that today. We have bankruptcy laws. Although um, there are garnishment laws, so if you owe the IRS money, they have the right to garnish your wages and get that money back. But we don't really have labor camps or workhouses. And so, given that Jesus is um, given to um, exaggeration, I've actually heard this whole idea of the 10,000 talents being sort of a number that can't be calculated. And then on the other side, the denarius is really a very small sum. And so, just as, a, as an example, I have a twenty-dollar bill, and so the two slaves—one had debt to the other—and it amounted to about twenty bucks. All right. And if Sam, if you'll put up that slide for us, this is the U.S. national debt clock. Runs twenty-four-seven. Don't look at it too much; it'll make you crazy. But that's the kind of debt that Jesus is saying that the slave owed to the master. So you have this huge, huge difference between what it was that the slave owed the master and what was owed between the the fellow slaves. Thanks, Sam. All right, so when we talk about forgiveness and we talk about this wide gulf, I thought it might be good to start with a definition. And we recently had um, a class that ran five weeks. It was called Come Home, and it was... uh, Uh, It was video-based by James McDonald, who's a pastor in the Chicago area, and uh, this is his definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness, and this is on your outline, forgiveness is the decision to release a person from the obligation that resulted when they injured you. All right, so let me say that again. Forgiveness is the decision to release a person from the obligation that resulted when they injured you. You know, it's interesting that in our culture and in our judicial system that we teach that an offender should not only show remorse, repent, if you will, for their wrongdoing, but they should also be punished. And so when I think about examples of that, uh, a good example is the home. When you're raising your children, your children do something wrong, they get disciplined, and you expect them to say, I'm sorry. They're either going to go say sorry to their brother or sister, or they're going to say sorry to mom or dad, but there's typically still punishment uh, that gets uh, levied. And then you may have a similar situation at work. There's a whole uh, process of discipline uh, at work. A lot of times the people that work for us can act like children, and so we expect those people to be repentant, but that doesn't alleviate the penalty that's going to happen, and so we uh, discipline people at work sometimes as well. And then I was thinking about... when you think about a criminal that's been convicted and they're at sentencing, typically they get a chance to address the court. And of course, what everybody's expecting to hear, even though they've been judged guilty and are going to receive sentencing, we're expecting them to be remorseful um, for their sins. So we, if you think about that in our culture, we expect repentance, but we don't really talk about, well, what happens on the other side of that? Where's the forgiveness side of that? For us, it's repentance and Judgment and punishment. So, in some ways, this definition is countercultural to what we're used to dealing with. So, because it's countercultural, I thought it would be good if I just gave you some observations. Um, these are my observations of what I think about forgiveness. And so, the first thing on your outline is that forgiveness is not justice. All right? This is from our passage. It says, But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. Of course, we know that the, the one slave who was owed the money, was in a, he was perfectly within his legal rights to do this. But that is not forgiveness. So, you've probably been involved in a disagreement, and the person comes to you, and let's assume, okay, let's assume that the person that comes... To confess is in fact truly repentant, and they provide a proper apology. Okay, we could spend the whole time talking about what a proper apology looks like. Okay, but let's just assume that we get one, and the typical interaction is that the person that was offended then starts to be rate or walk through and relive the incident, and so the person that comes to forgive actually gets beat up a little bit. I just want to let you know that's not forgiveness, all right? That's justice. All right, the second thing I want you to see is that you can, uh, forgiveness can be given even though there is no apology. And I love this verse uh, from Jesus. This is Jesus standing outside of Jerusalem before Passion Week, and he, he cries out, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your uh, children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings." and you were not willing. Normally, we think of this whole idea of forgiveness as being a transaction. So somebody comes to me, um, they've offended me, they say they're sorry, and I say, you're forgiven. And we don't forgive until there's an apology. Well, what about the situations where the person isn't around to apologize? Maybe it would be a hard thing to do. You know, people that commit child abuse and sexual abuse, they go to jail. Um, it could be that, you know, somebody else, a, a family member, um, is, has passed away and they're just not available to have this conversation with. So what do you do? Is there no forgiveness? Because there's certainly not going to be any p- apology. What I realized through this study was that th- there's great benefit to the person who apologizes even though no forgiveness is given, and there's great benefit to the person who forgives even though no apology is given. And so I just wanted you to see that you do not need to have that person come and apologize. It's very interesting that I have this situation in my family. For the longest time, I just knew that there was an issue, um, not at, at the cousin's level, but at the aunt and uncle level. And this is my dad's family. And so we just had recently had a, a, a gathering and an aunt that I hadn't seen in years uh, was able to come. And we just really had a nice time. And then, you know, uh, my dad left, the aunt left, and the cousins were there. And we were just chatting about, you know, hey, there, you know, there's this issue. And nobody knew what the issue was. And so about a week later when I was talking to my dad, I asked him, he said, what is the deal? And he goes, oh, well, that aunt had an argument with another aunt decades ago about a pertinent social issue, and they took two different sides, and they didn't agree to disagree. They got mad at one another and didn't speak to one another since that time. So this is, and I'm talking 40, maybe 50 years since this has happened. Well, one of the aunts has Alzheimer's. She's in a home. And then the aunt that came, she's actually had a stroke, and so she suffers from a little dementia from time to time. There's going to be no reconciliation in that situation. And so you may have a situation like that where you're expecting an apology and the apology is not, just not possible. But I put forth to you that you still have the opportunity to forgive. And what we see in that verse from Jesus is that Jesus had already forgiven Israel. He was just waiting for Israel to come to him. All right, the next thing I want you to see is that... Um, Forgiveness does not necessarily eliminate the consequences of the uh, injury. All right, so I I mentioned before that sometimes uh, people end up going to jail. Addicts can go to jail. They can have health problems. They can even OD. Um, So there are situations where consequences of the offense will still be carried out even though you want to grant forgiveness or you, you're giving uh, forgiveness. And a, and a, a great uh, story, and this is, for me, this is one of the saddest uh, stories in the Bible, and it's the story of uh, David and his sin with Bathsheba and his murder of uh, Uriah. He's approached by Nathan the prophet. Nathan the prophet calls him out on it, and David then realizes that he's sinned, and he cries out to God, and he confesses his sin. And in fact, if you want to see that confession, go to Psalm fifty-one. Psalm 51 contains David's confession and it's a very heartfelt and contrite it is a proper apology but God says to David that your sin's been removed but you're still going to suffer the consequences the baby that's conceived is going to die and in fact your family there's going to be term- turmoil in your family until you die and in fact if you read the rest of second samuel you see how what what an awful awful time David has of it in his latter years. And so I look at that and I say, okay, most of the time you, you look at our definition, the definition was remove the obligation. Well, sometimes that can't happen. And so I'm, what I'm saying to you is you can still forgive somebody and the consequences of the injury will still occur. Another thing I want you to see is that uh, forgiveness is almost certainly painful to you. This is from 1 Peter. For Christ also suffered, so who who Felt the pain? Jesus did. Suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Um, in your situation, there may be physical pain, emotional pain, financial pain, spiritual pain. For there to be a proper forgiveness, you may have to absorb that pain. Forgiving is sacrificing I would also tell you that forgiveness is all, always twofold, and this will be very familiar to you that have been in church a long time. Just as Jesus demonstrates mercy and grace to us, we're expected to demonstrate the same. And if you're going to truly forgive, there's going to be mercy, which is not getting what you deserve, and grace, which is getting what you don't deserve. And so what I would say to you is when you think about the definitions of mercy and grace, how do these things compare Or how do those definitions and how does that attitude compare to the way the rest of the world thinks about forgiveness? All right, well, it's one thing to really kind of know what forgiveness is, but but how do I do it? All right, so I have some things that I'd like you to, uh, to remember as you work through it. The first is, Jesus has forgiven you. This is from Ephesians. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins The first step in forgiving others is not to make the same mistake that the slave did. The slave did not think that his offense was a big deal. And so you need to understand again how wide that is. Sam, could I have you put the clock back up? Remember, the difference is who could possibly pay that debt versus 20 bucks. All right? So when you're going to forgive somebody else, you need to think about this in terms of the sins that God has forgiven you. Thanks, Sam. You know, we, we talk about the good news and the bad news here. And I had said that the fact that we want justice hinders our ability to forgive others. I would also say to you that I think our view of justice is one of the reasons why we don't come to God and ask for forgiveness. In our judicial system, and if you're an attorney, please Forgive me, because I'm going to generalize. There are three categories of wrongs. The first is an infraction. So what's an infraction? It's like a parking ticket. You're going to get, get fined, but it's very minor. No jail time. Then there's misdemeanor. Um, a misdemeanor typically has a fine and can have um, a small amount of jail time with it. A, a, a misdemeanor, uh, one that's common, is breaking and entering. And then, of course, there's a felony, and a felony can be a thing like murder, and there's almost always uh, jail time with that. I think the reason we don't come to Christ and take his salvation and his forgiveness because we think we only have parking tickets that have built up against our God. And we think that when we die, he's going to clear them up because it's just parking tickets. That's not what the Bible teaches, though. And I remember uh, the late Pastor Kennedy of Carl Ridge Presbyterian Church explaining it this way. He goes, what we need to see is not that we have parking tickets, but that we're on death row. Because of the sins that we've committed against a holy God, we are spiritually on death row. And in fact, the Bible tells us in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And so what I try to think about is, okay, who is, you know, who is one of these mass murderers that has, you know, been convicted and put on death row? And what I think about, I think about Ted Bundy because I just happened to be at school in Tallahassee the night that he came through and killed and beat those women. And so, what I need for you to do, what I'm asking you to do in terms of our explanation of the good news and the bad news, is the bad news is really bad. If you haven't come to God to ask forgiveness, you're on death row. It's not parking tickets. They're not going to get waived at the time of your death. You're on death row. Thankfully, though, with the good news, Jesus came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross, bearing all our sins, our death-deserving sins. I think about that verse from 1 Peter that we just read, the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus comes, the righteous one, and he dies for us, the unrighteous. He paid the penalty, waiting for each one of us, and he defeated the curse of death by being raised from the dead. And if you'll just confess your sin to God, wholeheartedly believe that Jesus paid for, paid for them on the cross, that he died and was raised to, life, raised to life, you can be saved. And my heart my heart is that you would pray that today. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I pray today that you would go to him and you say, God, I'm sorry for offending you in such a terrible way. Would you forgive my sins? I want to be in heaven with you. And this attitude is the attitude that we're supposed to have when we deal with forgiving others. We're supposed to be looking at this, this large amount of debt that Jesus paid for us and the smaller amount that's owed by somebody else. Another thing I'd like you to remember is that reconciliation of the relationship is more important than the resolution of the issue. And this is another uh, part where we get tripped up. What we focus on is, I want to make the issue right. You hurt me. And so we go focus on, how do I render some sort of judgment or some sort of punishment? But in God's economy, it's more important that we reconcile the relationship. And look at this verse. This is from 2 Corinthians. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against him, uh, them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. I just I love this verse, that God wants reconciliation and peace before he wants the task resolved, and so what this means is sometimes you 're not going to get resolution of the issue because it's more important to reconcile the relationship and isn't that a radical radical way to live? Can you imagine what would happen in our culture? you just i mean i just i 'm not beating up the press, just think about how, what you read in the paper today. I think the press is <laughs> They're the plaintiff, they're the jury, they're the judge. If you just read the, the way things are presented to us now in the press. The zero tolerance police. Can you imagine what would happen if just in BBC we started forgiving people the way that God wants us to forgive them? By reconciling relationship and being about that rather than the resolution of the issue? The last thing I want you to or next thing I want you to see is that it is required of every Christian and is key to a healthy relationship with God. Look at this verse from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the last part is from the Lord's Prayer: "And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions." This whole idea of a right relationship with God hinges on this this issue of forgiveness. Remember, I talked about earlier about this whole idea that if you've offended somebody else, it's your duty to go straighten it out. Here, Jesus is telling us it's our duty to forgive others. Again, that sort of that radical Christianity, if you want to think of it that way. And then the last thing I'd like you to see is that forgiveness is a process. And this is the first verse we read today. And Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? You know, to me, this tells me that Peter was really, really struggling with how to forgive sin and that forgiving sin is not easy. You know, to forgive sin, you have to give up some of your rights. You might even have to let the other person get away with it, so to speak. When we went through our come home study, James McDonald told us that he was working through a big forgiveness issue and that sort of caught me by surprise. But he said that there was, a, there was this big issue and he was working through it and he knew he needed to forgive, that he wasn't there yet, but he knew that his spiritual life was at stake, that his faith was at stake, and that if he didn't forgive, that his faith might waver. And so that just tells me that it's going to be a process for you. So as you leave here today and you, you think through some of these things that have offended you, some of that pain that you've had, and you start to deal with that, I ask that you'll ask God for his grace to give you the opportunity to work through the process in a way that's honoring to him. You know, and right now, um, Jeff has written this song, and the band's going to come, and they're going to play this song for us. And it's just a great song. It's not really one that you'll be singing. In fact, I would ask you to um, just sit and reflect and meditate on the words. They'll be on the screen for you to read. And be thinking about uh, some of those areas of your life where there's a hurt that's unresolved, and you haven't forgiven that other person, and I ask that um, you really work through the process, and my, um, my heart's desire would be that you'd be able to forgive. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you uh, so much for today. I know that the message is, uh, it's a tough message. Uh, God, we don't uh, like to forgive. We'd much prefer for you to come in and um, deal a lot of justice, but that's not really how you want it to work. And I know we have a lot of people here who have a lot of pain. There's a lot of bitterness. So my first prayer, Lord, is that you would just reach out to those people, to their hearts, that you would mend their hearts. And then, Lord, I would pray that you would give us the courage and the ability to work through the process to forgive others because we know in doing so uh, we get great honor to you in the kingdom. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.